We didn't start the fire. It was always burning since the world's been turning. We didn't light it, but we tried to fight it. Hear all about the fight in the danger zone. Amazing stories, incredible music, terrible singing about military history. I'm Paul. Sit back and relax if you can. If you're driving, don't even think of changing stations. You know how dangerous it is to take your hands off the wheel and your eyes off the road. There are over one million people in Australia of ethnic Chinese descent. Worldwide, there are over 50 million ethnic Chinese living in countries other than China. The earliest date when the first Chinese visited Australia isn't known for sure, but maybe this gives us a clue. In one book by Confucius in his Spring and Autumn Annals, written in 481 BC, he recorded that two solar eclipses were observed by Chinese astronomers on 17 April 592 BC, and as best we can reckon, they might have been in Arnhem Land. The problem is that it wasn't called Arnhem Land then, so, you know, who knows? Another Chinese book called Atlas of Foreign Countries, written between 265 and 316 AD, described the mountains above Cairns as being inhabited by a race of one-metre-tall pygmies. It turns out that this was a reference to the pygmy-sized Aboriginals identified by Australian anthropologist Norman B. Tyndale in the late 1930s. The earliest known Chinese immigrant to arrive in Australia post-invasion day, I'm not sure whether this arrival constitutes the beginning of a yellow invasion following hard on the heels of the white invasion, it's highly unlikely that he was a communist because Karl Marx, lazy sod that he was, well, he was a socialist, didn't get around to writing his book Das Kapital until 1867. Anyway, this person, probably not a communist, is recorded as being a man by the name of Mak Sai Ying. He was born in Guangzhou in Canton in 1798. He arrived as a free settler in New South Wales in 1818, and purchased land at Parramatta. In 1829, Mak Sai-ying, who had adopted an English-style name, John Shai-ying, was granted the licence for The Lion, a public house at Parramatta. I guess that shows that racism hadn't been invented by white people back in those days. His descendants became cabinet makers and undertakers in Sydney, packing death. Between 1849 and 1887, China, particularly in the south of China, suffered from foreign invasions, rebellions, severe flooding and famines. Since China wasn't then the nice place to live that it has become under Xi Jinping, and gold had just been discovered in Australia, a lot more Chinese were encouraged to come here. Many of the people living in Australia today of Chinese ethnic descent are therefore very dinkum die Aussies. But there are also many more recent Chinese arrivals in Australia, and some of those have a dubious connection with this country. Bob Hawke was the Australian Prime Minister at the time of the Tiananmen Square Massacre in 1989. 
He was the man who famously said on the day that Australia won the America's Cup that any boss who sacks someone for celebrating Australia 2's America Cup victory is a bum. And he was always a man who carried his heart on his sleeve. After the massacre, Tiananmen Square, not the whipping that Australia gave the Americans in 1983, Bob Hawke generously gave 42,000 Chinese who were in Australia at the time permanent resident right, and the same right to their close family members, making a total of 100,000 Chinese. It was a big-hearted gesture. It was to help Chinese dissidents by not forcing them to return to an unpleasant reception when they got back to China. But it was a really dumb gesture. No one from China could visit a foreign country like Australia unless they were trusted by the Chinese Communist Party. No dissidents definitely allowed to travel overseas. This gesture by Bob Hawke was against the wise advice by Australian public servants who told him, don't do it. Three quarters of these Chinese people were in Australia for just a few months doing basic English language training. They've since provided a dangerous invasion of Australia of people who are loyal to the Chinese Communist Party. In 2000, the Deputy Chief of the Overseas Chinese Affair Office, He Yefei, announced, As the standing of overseas Chinese rises abroad, and as their ethnic consciousness awakens, they will have the desire as well as the ability to collect their power in order to push forward the development and advancement of China. To mobilise the vast numbers of people of Chinese descent around the world, the Chinese Communist Party has put into place elaborate measures, very well funded, to target these overseas Chinese ethnics, to help the Chinese Communist Party achieve its aim of having the Chinese Communist Party ruling the entire world. In this program, I'm going to tell you how successfully they've been in doing this in Australia, already with people of Chinese descent here. It's a terrifying story. While the modern left in the West is constantly on the attack against Western society, telling us how racist we are, they never comment about the largest left-wing government today that has racism as its central most important feature. Nazi Germany promoted the ideal of the Aryan master race, which didn't actually exist. But today, the Chinese Communist Party is promoting the Chinese as the new master race, and their ethnicity is far purer than what the Nazis were ever able to find amongst their fellow Germans. The Chinese Communist Party is aiming, with a great deal of success, to develop their ideal of Chineseness. The CCP promotes the common ethnic consciousness of the Chinese people, based on biology, culture and nostalgia, manufactured to a great extent, as nostalgia often is. A hugely popular song, blessed by the Chinese Communist Party, promoting this is the huge karaoke hit Descendants of the Dragon. The song praises people with black hair, which definitely leaves me out with no hair, black eyes and yellow skin. Not very inclusive, is it? Definitely racist. Luckily, if the racism is from the left, it's good racism. 
This propaganda promoting Chinese ethnicity as the new master race has been especially successful with Chinese emigrants who left China in the 1990s and 2000s. They didn't leave China to escape political oppression for the most part. Mind you, there are still those Chinese who are fleeing oppression, which in communist China comes in many different forms. I'll talk about that later. There's a word for what the Chinese Communist Party is up to. It's their word, and it's Chao Wu. It means Overseas Chinese Affairs. It's a massive operation involving getting all, that's the goal, not the reality, overseas Chinese brought under the control of the Chinese Communist Party at every level of society, controlling their behaviour and how they see things by using incentives and punishments to bring this result about. Remember that the Australian Chinese are likely to be victims in our own country of this Chinese Communist Party coercion and pressure. The Australian government is seriously letting those people who want no part of the control that the Chinese Communist Party wants to have pressure applied to them to conform to what the Chinese Communist Party wants. Clive Hamilton, in his book Silent Invasion, China's Influence in Australia, says that it's important for Australia to have a view on how many Chinese are loyal to the Chinese Communist Party, how many are neutral, and how many are loyal to Australia. Any answer you get is going to be guesswork, with a high probability that the answer given is going to be wrong to some extent. The answers he's been given when talking to prominent people in the Australian Chinese community cover a wide range of possibilities. Firstly, what does he mean by Chinese? He settles for people who are what are called Han Chinese, who were born in mainland China. So he immediately excludes people from Hong Kong, although this is obviously now rapidly changing as Hong Kong is swallowed whole by the dragon, Singaporean Chinese, Malaysian Chinese and Tibetans. One estimate he was given came up with Chinese classified as Han Chinese, born in Australia who had a strong pro-Beijing sentiment at about 20 to 30 percent. Maybe 40 to 50 percent are neutral, people who don't want to get involved in politics and are not targets to be pressured by the Chinese Communist Party at the moment. That gives 20 to 30% of the Chinese who are loyal to Australia. It's very close to the truth to say that no Chinese people who are not loyal to the Chinese Communist Party will speak out. If they are neutral, and especially those whose loyalty is to Australia, for fear of retribution from the Chinese Communist Party. Hamilton got a different assessment from another person he spoke to. This person gave around 10% as being strongly pro-Chinese Communist Party and 10% as being strongly anti-Chinese Communist Party. This person believes that 20 to 30% of Australian Chinese are quiet supporters of the Chinese Communist Party. All of the Chinese people who gave their thoughts on the loyalty of Chinese people in Australia agreed that a large majority of Chinese Australians support Beijing's claim to the South China Sea. Just short of half of Han Chinese Australians 
believe that Tibet and Taiwan belong to China. Clive Hamilton has spoken to some people who think it's too late for Australia to be able to free itself from Chinese Communist Party control. Scary. They think that the battle is already lost. If Australia is going to be able to free itself of Chinese control, we're going to have to recognise what the Chinese Communist Party is doing in and to this country. And we're going to have to take strong actions to rip our sovereignty back out of the hands of the Chinese Communist Party. There are encouraging signs that this is happening. But it's also clear that there's a long way to go. So what is happening inside Australia with our own Chinese population? The answer is frightening. I'm going to talk about that now. In the course of writing the book Silent Invasion, China's Influence in Australia, Clive Hamilton was very conscious that people of the left would attempt to silence him by saying that he is a racist and a xenophobic Real xenophobia is the fear or hatred of what is seen as being foreign or strange. It's a tactic making these accusations that the left in this country and around the world use to silence criticism of the Chinese Communist Party, challenging people who criticise the Chinese Communist Party as being racist against Chinese people. Hamilton says that the Chinese Communist Party uses these concerns directly and through the many mouthpieces of those on the left or those who want to continue to have the Chinese Communist Party line their pockets with money. These people try to equate a more than justified fear of the Chinese Communist Party with the fear of Chinese people. The two are obviously not the same, but it's useful for the Chinese Communist Party to promote this wrong idea. As I said when I began this series of programs, China as a country ceased to exist in 1948 when the Chinese Communist Party took over the country that was formerly known as China. Today there is only the Chinese Communist Party. There is fightback taking place in the ethnic Chinese community in Australia. People who have learned to prize the freedom, openness and the rule of law in Australia. In September 2016, the United Front, part of the Chinese Communist Party's Central Committee, which pursues Marxist-Leninist tactics and strategies to overthrow us filthy capitalists, was planning a cultural event that was very political. The plan was to stage concerts in Australia, glorifying, using their words, the charming personality and heroism of Mao Zedong. Between 1959 and 1961, an estimated 30 to 40 million Chinese died from hunger. Another 20 million died in the Chinese equivalent of gulags, concentration camps, that are still operating today, especially to re-educate the Uyghur people. 50 to 60 million people have died under communism. But the magic of propaganda is that this monster, Mao, still holds enormous attraction to the people in communist China and in many other places around the world by left-leaning people. Loyal Australian Chinese objected to celebrating a man who they described as the most fearful Chinese tyrant. Celebrating Mao was a direct 
contradiction of everything they loved about Australia. Online petitions and planned protests outside the concert venues in Sydney and Melbourne saw the cancellation of the concerts. Those activities would have totally derailed the positive propaganda that these concerts were supposed to generate. In 2017, another inspiring entertainment, a ballet from communist China, was going to be put on in Australia. It was called by the romantic and inspiring name of The Red Detachment of Women. The ballet glorifies the People's Liberation Army and romanticises the Chinese Communist Party. And what is there not to love about a party that showed Hitler up for the rank amateur of a butcher that he was? Carrillo Gantner, speaking for the sponsor of this cultural entertainment, the Sydney Meyer Fund, said that the ballet had lost its propaganda power. The loyal Australian Chinese community, who had fled China in those wonderful years that Mao was in power, didn't agree. You can read about what life was like then in Jung Chang's novel, Wild Swans. As one reviewer on Goodreads wrote, Wild Swans may well be the most depressing book I've ever read. Xi Jinping has instructed the Chinese Communist Party to spread the version of what passes for culture under the communists to the international community as a form of soft power, what the communists call propaganda. One of the organisers of protests against the Red Detachment of Women described the ballet as promoting hatred and preaching slaughter. Sadly, the performances of this ballet went ahead in Australia. Now, just popping back to the concerts that were going to promote the achievements of Mao Zedong, there would seem to be a level of hypocrisy here. Adolf Hitler only managed to kill a paltry six million Jews and he gets all the publicity so unfair. A mere amateur. Next to him, Mao Zedong is a professional butcher. He managed to kill up to ten times as many people as Hitler and who knows or cares about that? Just a moment ago, I was talking about the ballet, the Red Detachment of Women, which glorifies the People's Liberation Army and romanticises the Chinese Communist Party. I don't know why protesters were so upset about that ballet being staged here. After all, Australia has its own core of the People's Liberation Army of the Communist Party of China. It's called the Australian Eighth Corps. Their charter says that all members must fervently love their motherland. Now I know they're not talking about Australia because the word mother is no longer an acceptable term in this country. The members of the Corps are all ex-PLA soldiers who have emigrated to Australia. In 2016, the Corps staged a celebration at the Hurstville Town Hall in Sydney. Its members wore People's Liberation Army military fatigues with caps insignia and flags galore. They sang patriotic Chinese Communist Party songs. It was such a success that in 2017 they did an encore in Chatswood, singing, amongst other popular songs, The East is Red. The Communist Party is like the sun. Wherever it shines, it is bright. Wherever the Communist Party is, hurrah, the people are liberated. That is liberated from their freedom. It's like Mao Zedong said, an army with guns is not enough. 
we must also have a cultural army, which is absolutely indispensable for uniting our own ranks and defeating the enemy. If it ever comes to the crunch between Australia and the Chinese Communist Party, who are these people going to be helping? Not Australia, I would dare say. In March 2017, Premier Lee Kuing visited Sydney. The PLA Corps members took to the streets to give him an enthusiastic welcome. The Corps' president wrote proudly, but unpatriotically to Australia, and in a way that would be racist if he wasn't of the left, Today, Chinese national flags subjugated Sydney. Thousands of Chinese people waited in the rain. The entire CBD was a sea of black hair, yellow skin and red national flags. I'm pretty sure they didn't sing, I still call Australia home. The story gets creepier and more scary in my next program. Thanks for joining me, Paul, in The Danger Zone. If you liked this program, you'll definitely love my other program, C-Y-K-I-A-E, whatever the hell that means.